Light beer, dark money. Agree on something. Politics, culture, and the intersection of faith, freedom, and free enterprise. And now, here are your hosts, Light Beer, Chris Clements, and Dark Money, Sean Noble. Well, welcome back. Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm Sean Noble. I'm Chris Clements. And And, uh, this is our new digs, guys. This is uh, pretty exciting. If you're watching on video, if you're watching on YouTube, we have a new studio. We are really blessed and thankful to be a part of Day Pratt Live here at uh, Star Worldwide Networks. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Dave Pratt's been what? a guy that we've listened to as you know kids. Dave Pratt is the mayor of Palookaville. I mean, we are in in the presence of greatness. Yeah, and uh, I reached out to Dave. I would say about two months ago. When um, we were we were told that uh, uh, we we had been broadcasting and and recording at at GCU for the better part of three four months and that is that was a great experience we were there at Canyon Ventures along with Robert Vera and and all the businesses and great things they're doing out there um, it's an incubation space which and a lot of people don't know that so we were incubating we were incubating our podcast we were incubating our podcast we were launching other podcasts apparently. Yeah, because we went the last podcast we had with with uh, John Condo, we we went there to set up, and there was somebody <laughs> set up in the room. Yeah, and which we is great. which was which was fantastic, and so we had to we had to scramble, yeah, <laughs> to get get it set up for John. But uh, we were um, uh, asked to uh, secede a little bit more control to the powers that be at Grand Canyon University. And to sign over some some authority and and uh, which there were some legal matters and, you know, and I, I get and what they some wanted, control issues. It wasn't what we wanted, so yeah. we hatched out of our incubation and uh, we flew over here. We we hatched out of our incubation. I I, I was connected with the mayor on uh, LinkedIn and sent him a copy of our podcast and said we kind of know each other but we don't and would love to engage you on the possibility of moving this podcast over to your networks. And he agreed. <laughs> so I have to just tell people, our listeners, um, when we met with Dave the first time, Chris was so starstruck. I was a total nerd. He was just nerding out big time because, you know, we both listened to Dave Pratt growing up, you know. Well, growing up, growing up in Tucson, um, you know, we only had like three radio stations for the most part. And 96 Rocks, KLPX, one of the great radio stations in Arizona, was the one rock station. And um, other than what KWFM was, which was classic rock, but then they went away and they went to more contemporary. And so KUPD, you know, 98 KUPD out of Phoenix was really the first radio station, rock radio station to go statewide. Yeah. And, and before they went statewide, I used to take my radio and hold it up to my window to listen <laughs> to Dave Pratt's morning show. And one of my earliest memories as a diehard U2 fan was Dave Pratt having Bono on the morning show announcing the Joshua Tree Tour to take place at uh, Wells Fargo Arena and then and then later on at, uh, at Sun Devil Stadium, Stadium, which became part of history. Right, the rattle and hum. So Dave and I had to share that little moment of, of adolescence when we first met. Yeah, it was cool. So but, we're excited. This is a new chapter in Light Beer, Dark Money. Yeah, um, fantastic. We've got great studios here to, to record from. and uh, But man, we've been away... For a while, you know, nothing's been happening. In no, the world. nothing, nothing. 
it was a very very dull summer it was you know it started off after after our great interview with john condo i want to thank him again for coming on two months ago and uh and and gracing us with just his his story but shortly after that you know we had one set of news and that was that was the governor of new york was resigning right which I kind of was thinking, wow, that's kind of the biggest news of the year. It was it was a big big deal at that point. And then it, it feels like a lifetime ago. And, and then you don't, you don't so hear about the governor happened. of New York anymore. The Who? former governor of New York. <laughs> <laughs> I, I it's astounding to me how much has happened. Um, I mean, obviously the big big big. There's a lot of big things, but the biggest is the the debacle in Afghanistan. Um, I get that Biden wanted to get out. Um, I think getting out was the right thing to do. I think the process in doing it was just a complete disaster. Uh, I, I, I don't understand if, if the idea was that we're going to leave, how is it that we left with such a chaotic way? I mean, I knew it was, you know, everyone knows it was going to be challenging, but it is, is probably one of the worst things I've ever seen. See, this is where we might, Disagree. Okay. So I, I was not for getting out fully. I, I believe that you could, you could leave a residual force there, and that was what was recommended about over 2,000 troops. And we have residual forces all over the world, both in Germany, Japan, South, Japan, South Korea. <laughs> and so having 25 or 2,800 or 3,000 or 5,000 there in, in Afghanistan to, to at least maintain what we've built there over the last 20 years, whether you disagree with that or not, um, seemed to me and, and, and to the powers that be, meaning the, the military leaders, that that was the least that we could do. Yeah. And, and, and then have a, uh, a very controlled withdrawal of the rest of the forces and whoever wanted to get out. Instead, um, what, what is very apparent and what seems to be the truth is that, that our president, you know, didn't listen to any of that. No, he, he, de- he over, he overruled his generals, uh, all the, national security folks, the intelligence folks on their recommendations. I mean, we, we, we were there with 2,600 people. Yeah. Um, so we so already had, it. it was already residual force, but he wanted to be completely out. Um, I, I just can't understand why he decided to do it in a way that we leave the numbers somewhere between 60 and $80 billion worth of equipment. Sure. That now falls 80, in the hands. Eighty-five is the last yeah, figure. I think I that's saw. probably high. That's a Trump number, but I. But let's say it's sixty. Okay, sixty billion. Eighty-five, sixty, 60 100, whatever, whatever know, it is. Trump change. Right? Yeah. Um, but you think about that technology now falling into the hands of the Taliban, which can now be sold to Russia or China or North Korea. Sure. I mean, this is not a good thing for us no, in the long term. In fact, Russia and China were the first ones to kind of move in and, and, and begin aiding the Taliban and recognizing the Taliban for um, as the legitimate rulers of Afghanistan. Right. And and then the the, the biggest part of of the entire farce is is the leaving behind of Americans and also uh, Afghanis who helped us. Who helped us? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, I I think it was it was classic. And what's interesting is that when you look at who is around Biden as far as his staff. The these are old seasoned hands. I mean, these are guys who've been around for a long time in government, um, and I think he just had the arrogance to say, "Look, I was chairman of the Foreign Relations Commission or Committee for decades. 
I know better. We're getting out. I don't care what you say. Um, and it was just a complete failure. And created a humanitarian disaster. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we it, lost 13. And we lost 13. 13 lives unnecessarily. We hadn't had a death in Afghanistan, an American soldier's death in Afghanistan for over a year before that. Yeah. Um, so it's. it's and, and prayers and thanksgiving to those families. Man. Just, I, mean, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, and I, I know a lot of folks who's, who have um, sons and daughters in the military who were heading over during that time to lead on the extraction. And I know some, some former Navy SEALs who are, at, even right now, leading on extraction. Yeah. I mean, independently of the, I mean, the well, State the, Department knows what they're doing and the military right, knows what they're doing. Right. But there's definitely private, they're, private folks that are um, still trying to get our people out and the, and the allies that we, you know, who risk their lives. Yeah. And and are now well, we know they're some of them are being killed as we speak. Um, well, and then this whole idea of a kinder, gentler Taliban is is something that's just joke. one of the most ridiculous things ever. Uh, because of those of us who actually were around before nine eleven, I mean, seeing how the Taliban ran that country <laughs> before that time, mm-hmm. what's to give us any indication that it will be any different? In fact, I was listening to something uh, earlier today, uh, Potomac Watch with. Uh, um, Kim Strassel and Bill Bill McGurn, and uh, they were talking about how how uh, schools have resumed in in Afghanistan this last weekend, and girls aren't going to school. Right, right. You know, women aren't part of the government. You know, uh, the question was asked: What what is the Biden administration going to do when stonings happen in the public square, when beheadings happen in the public square? Then then what is it? Is, are we is a kinder, general ta- Taliban then? No. I mean, I, I think the answer is they're not going to And, do and the biggest d- diplomacy issue, which he touted in his speech at the UN, becomes, are we going to recognize the Taliban as the legitimate rulers of Afghanistan, right. a, a terrorist organization that led the attack on 9-11, which we celebrated 20 years, not, you know, two weeks ago. Yeah. The whole thing's kind of, a, well, not it's, kind of, a, that's a total You just can't mess. make it up. It's yeah. just, it's unbelievable. Um, and it begs the question, is this incompetence or is it intentional? Well, I think it's, I, 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 like I said, I can't imagine. Uh, there is a level of incompetence, but it was driven in part by arrogance because I don't think that, that what it, the incompetence was that the intelligence and military leaders didn't have a contingency plan for when the president said, screw that, we're out now. I think they, they, I or, think they or, really or they, believe, or they, they didn't have the guts time. to put their stars on the table and say, "I, I'm not doing this. Well, that's, I'm resigning." That's a great point. I, I, it is astounding to me that we haven't seen resignations, um, either before when he made this decision or after since the debacle. I mean, just the closing of the the airbase, which was general consensus that that was that was a bad thing to do. It was a terrible thing to do. I mean, yeah. we we take away. I mean. Our superiority, our superiority over the Taliban was because we had air support for our guys, and we took that away. And so all of a sudden, you know, a very ragtag group of people becomes a killing machine because they don't have, you know, we're not eyes on them. And this disaster of, of uh, this drone strike on this family when they thought it was a terrorist, I mean— a bad case of wagging the dog. If I yeah. Oh my gosh. 
no, saying, oh, yeah, we, we, we retaliated when they knew what they did. That's why I think there's a larger argument to be made that this is intentional. That 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 it's it, it is on purpose. It is part of a large broader policy to um to weaken the country and to and to weaken our position in the world. And there's people in the administration where that is their absolute goal. Which is astounding because the whole idea of the Biden campaign was we need to restore the the country's presence internationally because Trump had ruined it, according to them. But it's never been worse. Well, they now. didn't. I mean, they didn't inform NATO of this decision. NATO they didn't inform any of our allies. Yeah, <clears throat> our allies actually did a better job of extracting their personnel almost immediately once they understood that what was happening. Right. And and we were left trying to you know having the Taliban check passports and 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 uh, visas at the airport and denying most of them. Right. Including to American citizens. Yeah. There's still American citizens there that are. Hiding yeah, I don't. Out, I don't think it's a. I, mean, I don't think it's a leap to say that that this is a hostage crisis. I don't. I don't think it's a leap. No, I mean it. But what's crazy is it's a hostage crisis of our own making. <laughs> oh yeah, you just can't make it up. You can't make it up. And it's going to continue. It's going to get worse. Well, and it'll be, especially the humanitarian issues. I think. I think the progress that was made in Afghanistan in, in on the civil rights front for women, for girls. No, it's gone. Um, it's it's gone. gone and, and it's going to get worse. And it's, and, uh, the, uh, the, the government's going to operate as a, as a haven to terrorists and it's going to operate the same way it did 20 years ago. Well, and we can expect probably an attack on our shores and, uh, and, and, and just a lot of activity there between now and whatever. Well, and I think that, it, you know, the, the, the telling point will be if if there is a, a domestic terrorist attack or a terrorist attack on our soil that was originated from Afghanistan any time before November 2024, it will be a disaster for Biden or Harris, depending on who's running for president for the Democrats at that point. Um, and. What's what's fascinating to me is that we have this international crisis, but the Democrats have really messed up on, or at least Biden and his administration. But we also have Democrats in disarray on the domestic front. I mean, you know, there's there's no they're trying to push through this massive reconciliation package. Three point five trillion dollars, which Bernie Sanders says it's too small. Yeah, he they actually six. have they actually have compromised on this yeah, from he's the five or six, six trillion, six to 3. trillion. 5. Um, and I, which just shows you where this is. I, and you know, we've got a debt ceiling. We're we're coming up against the debt ceiling. We've got funding of government coming up. I mean, it's does the government get shut down? Do you think? Uh, that's a good question because you and I were talking about this at one of our other podcasts, and I, I, I think I think maybe there's a shutdown, not not a long one, but maybe some failed votes on some of these these bills in the House, and to scare everybody into into getting along the party line. Yeah, I think that but they'll. It, well, they're trying to put the Democrats are trying to put the the debt ceiling into the shutdown or into the 
uh, CR, the continuing resolution, which would fund government through December. Um, but I, and I think all the Democrats would vote for that, but um, I, they'd only need one to vote no. Yeah. And it could be Manchin. It could be a progressive who wanted something else. I mean, it's, you know, the, there's no room for error for them. Um, so I don't know whether there'll be a shutdown. The, the, the real, the real in- interesting fight is going to be the debt ceiling. Yeah. Because you've already got former treasurer, treasury secretaries writing saying this needs to get taken care of. And then you've got others saying, look, this is insane. We're spending just insane amount, insane amounts of money. Um, we've got to stop somewhere. The debt ceiling is supposed to be the, the break on this if we keep raising it. Yeah, well, every but it's, treasure- been, it's been a bipartisan thing as far as it, everybody's raised the debt ceiling. This every every Republican Treasury Republican. Secretary makes this argument that, oh, this is to fund our current obligation, which is true, but it's on top of what they how they want to expand those obligations. Right. Which Mitch McConnell, um, the minority leader of the Senate, who was majority leader, has said that there will not be a Republican vote for raising the debt ceiling. So if they want to do it, they can do it on their own. And so that, that then came this idea of attaching it onto the CR, which some moderate Republicans are for. But I don't think that flies either. I think, if it, I, yeah, I, I think I that, don't think that, that flies either. I think they, they need to be considered as individual entities. Okay. And uh, probably the, one of the most outrageous things being considered within the sphere of the CR and the 3.5, you know, budget reconciliation is this expansion of the IRS. No, oh, yeah. So basically what they are proposing, what, what the Biden administration is proposing, is that if you have inflow or outflow of, of anywhere above $600 in your bank account, then the IRS has a right to come in and look at what you're doing. This is a red herring. It is a purple tiger. It is, it is, <laughs> it is whatever you want to it call it. It is a colored animal. It is, it is, it is... It's 1984 on steroids times a thousand and will affect every single American and it will specifically really affect every single American with a bank account and and, and every single American with a bank account and will specifically affect, you know, anyone of any political persuasion who doesn't agree with whatever administration there might be. They have the ability to go in to your IRS record, to your bank accounts and see what you're doing. Where you're spending your money, who you're spending it with, who you're giving money to. Um, this is their way of solving the, the you know, the C4, the 527 issue where they can't see where the money's coming from. Right. Well, it's, I mean, what, what I. It's purely political well, and I, it's corrupt and it's, a, it's unconstitutional. The, and the fact that they're proposing it should give everyone pause. Well, and it's the, the question I've, I, I like to raise is with, and I actually had this a text exchange with my daughter last night. She was asking what I thought of the, for the people act HR one, mm-hmm. which we've talked about and she's pretty liberal. So, um, how did that happen? Yeah. You know, it happens. My daughter's more conservative than me. Yeah. Well, good for you, <laughs> which I can't believe. <laughs> um, but one of the things I pointed out to her was that this is basically welfare for politicians because title five of that bill basically says there's public financing of campaigns. And so you could have and what I said is you could have an instance in which a billionaire like Trump could run for president and we pay for it. Yeah. 
instead of him raising money or using his own money. Um, but where the heck was I going with that? I don't know. <laughs> IRS. Oh, so public financing of campaigns. Now. Public finance campaign. Well, it. it oh, it, so the, the the my point in all this was the Democrats need to think really carefully before they push something on a partisan line. If they if they pass something with fifty plus Vice President Harris, and then a Republican president comes and a Republican House and Senate. They do they want to have someone like a Trump or a DeSantis or you know having control over the types of things that they're passing? I mean, I it's it's weird to me that they're not thinking beyond the next two or four years. Well, I mean, I hate to say this, but I mean, they know intuitively that in an off election year, the president loses seats in the House, most likely the Senate. Um, there's enough folks on the hot seat where that could that could happen and you got to give the democrats and liberals credit when they go for broke they're willing to sacrifice elections for power well and they did because, it with obamacare because they sure. know they control the bureaucracy yeah and there's no changing that when you've got 80 or 90 percent of the bureaucracy voting for the left when you have the fourth estate which is supposed to be a check on all this voting for the left they don't care. Yeah. They're willing to sacrifice some some house seats and some senate seats and and lose elections, but but once once the bureaucracy is writing the rules because they leave it so open-ended where the committees don't do any of the work anymore. Yeah, that's well that was Obamacare. I mean, it was yeah. a, what passed under reconciliation in 2010 was was a draft bill. I mean, there was handwriting in the margins. That's yeah. what became the law which and left it completely wide open for uh, the bureaucrats. Yeah, so if you're going to give forty billion dollars more to the IRS, you're going to let them make up the rules. Yep, that's horrifying. And 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 so if, you know the middle class that's going to get audited that that don't that can't hire the lawyers and the accountants and everybody to to help fight the IRS is going to be the most affected. Yeah, six hundred bucks they're going to be monitoring anything over six hundred dollars. That's every that's every, that's, every that's bank pretty account. much every bank account. In America. I mean, I suppose, yeah, it is. I was going to say, my, my teenager, um, who, you know, has a part-time job while she's in high school, I mean, she could, that affects her. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, anybody. So there's, there's a lot, uh, couple that with the taxes that they want to raise to quote-unquote pay for everything. Affects every major small business. Every small business will be affected by that. Small businesses are freaking out. Um, you talk about uh, the tax on uh, death that they want to raise up to sixty percent. You talk about, I mean, a number of different items. Yeah, that the, the the expansion of the state is here, and it and it's it's probably time to stop calling our democratic friends democrats. We should begin to call them democratic socialists. Because the policy they're pursuing now is exactly that. Yeah. It's, it's statism, European-style socialism. No question. Speaking of democratic socialists. Yes. AOC. Sandy. Yes. Sandy Cortez, bartender from Westchester. <laughs> a bartender from Westchester who went to a $35,000 $35, per plate. ticket event 
invited this by the Metropolitan. The, the Met Gala, um, in which she wore a dress that on the back said, Tax the Rich. While it was being carried by her minions, you know, mass, it had such a long time. In mass, all her minions in black mass and, and black dresses. And she was being made up by the professionals. They and, even did a little 10-minute behind-the-scenes video of that. Um, I, what's astounding to me is that she doesn't kind of get the hypocrisy, or she doesn't care. I Again, I think, um, I really think she doesn't care. Uh, and I, I think she doesn't care, because Sandy is a made-up person. She's a made-up persona. And so what you're seeing is the process of, of making her up, I think. Um, AOC is a, this is, is a brand, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a socialist brand. Uh, brilliantly done by Justice Democrats, by the mm -hmm. way. I mean, you got to give them credit. They interviewed candidates for the position well, of, yeah, of being uh, a candidate. Of being a candidate. Excuse me, uh, uh, contestants. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not speaking correctly. Contestants to, to for the honor of running for Congress, and and here came this you know pretty much failed bartender from Queens with a with an economics degree. And if you ever heard her talk about economics, you've got to wonder if they need to take back her her diploma. Uh, but I suppose it probably par for the course for when she. But anyway, she interviewed for the job. She won, which is the Democratic system. And and, and from that time, she's gone on. To raise five, six million dollars. Well, she's raised way more than that. She's had she has over five million dollars in her in her, in her congressional congressional account account right now. Campaign account and supposedly right now. going to be running for for senate against Chuck Schumer. I, I think there's a chance of that. I think that a, a lot of that's going to depend on what happens over the next year or so with yeah. the with what's going on on the policy side. I mean, she's clearly pushing hard from the left um, and really creating a problem for. Democrats, especially moderates. Um, she will be a part of the reason the Democrats lose the, the majority in the House um, and potentially they'll lose the majority in the Senate. I yeah. Mean, you know. So, so tickets for $35,000, the price tag for a table was between $200,000 and $275,000. And um, as of today, Sandy's been slapped with two ethics complaints. Well, I mean, it's clearly way above the gift group. Yeah. Gift band rule. It's it's way above the gift band rule, and then um, oh, and then her uh, the woman who designed the dress, the tax the rich dress. She's um, a tax avoider as well. She's won it in several states for avoiding paying taxes. Shocking, shocking, shocking. That's why I, I, this is all made up. It's all it's just a game, and she's she is she's Sandy Cortez. You know, before she became AOC, she was just Sandy. Yeah. Which which was funny, but you know, as a mediocre bartender from from Westchester, you said failed been. bartender. You said mediocre. How do you know? Did you ever t get served by yeah, her? No, I just I just you know by <laughs> reputation for, probably. Well, I mean, for all we know, she was a great bartender. Maybe she was. Maybe she was. I mean, she's got a good personality. She's yeah. engaging. I could see her being a decent bartender. Which is why she won the contestant. Beat the contestant well, there you go. for the to become AOC. There you go. The brand. The brand. Yeah. It's funny that that's her Twitter handle, and yet if people refer to if some people refer to her as AOC, she's offended. They aren't calling me by my title. Uh, well, oh, Congresswoman Congress, oh, or representative. They should just call her Sandy. <laughs> they should just simply call her. If, if you haven't noticed, our, our, our friend Tucker Carlson refuses to call her AOC. He calls her Sandy, bartender from Westchester. 
which 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 is great it you know we shouldn't buy into the farce we as you know as conservatives or whatever party you're with you shouldn't buy into the farce well and i think that um it it, it, it's only going to go so far i mean it when it comes down to the push and the shove of the of the actual votes and the policies that the Democrats are trying to push through. Um, it'll be interesting to see where she falls and all that. Yeah. Um, and how relevant she will be because the truly the actions in the Senate. Um, now it could be that, that, you know, the, some of the progressives in the house vote against the, the infrastructure package, which is the 1.2 trillion that, Mansion and cinema and others were a part of negotiating uh, because the progressives and Pelosi and Schumer want to tie these two things together. The three point five trillion reconciliation, which is just a blank check, and then the one point two trillion actual infrastructure. Um, so th- it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens in D.C. over the next few it's weeks. It's a mess. It's a mess. Um, well, and all the all the attention in the Senate is on. We we've, we've talked a little bit about this on Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. However, there are several other senators. No question. Who who Democrat senators? Democratic senators who are allowing um, Joe and Kirsten to kind of you know, take the boat, take the arrows for them, because they don't want any part of these these bills either, because they have to go back and run for reelection yep. this year. Yep. And, uh, you know, Guy Benson had a great, great uh, column in uh, Town Hall about the disarray that the, the Democrats seem to find themselves in. And, and, and the sheer fact there's six or eight Democrats on the, in the Senate that are fine having, having Manchin and Cinema out there in front so they don't have to be. But you have to think, you know, back in their states that people are saying, don't you dare vote for this. Right. It will be fascinating to see what Mark Kelly does. It will be fascinating to see what Mark Kelly does because if if anybody's paying attention, Mark Kelly is silent. Really hasn't said much of anything about anything. Silent. In fact, if you look at several of our Democratic friends here in the great state of Arizona, look at their Twitter feed. Going back to when Afghanistan fell, when Kabul fell, there was they said nothing about it. I'm calling out Greg Stan and Mark Kelly. Nothing. Yeah. It was it was it was if it was if the party apparatchik told them you're not allowed to criticize anything, and I think the, the question becomes as as Biden's poll numbers plummet and he's going to get below forty here soon. Um, once once some other numbers come in, when, when when does when does you know a moderate like a Mark Kelly or a Greg Stanton pivot? It's a great question. I mean, when do they pivot? And, and do they go to the White House and say, I'm pivoting on this bill. I'm not voting for it. There's no way. I'm not going to get reelected. It's a good question. I mean, it will, it, because his numbers will, like you said, they'll, he's at 43, I think, is favorable. To the, 43. The, the latest is at 43. Yeah. So, so when, you know, when does that shift? I would imagine as money is being raised and people are declaring their candidacies, it's got to be in, in soon. Well, and, and in Stanton's case, he's he's announced he's going to run for re-election, but we don't know what the lines are yet. No. Because we're going through the redistricting. So bringing things back to home, redistricting commission has done, they're, they're going through their process. One of the things they have to do is do the grid 
uh, map, and then they make changes based on various components that are in the Constitution um, to come up with the final map, which I'm hearing they want to try to have done before the end of the year, well, which that, pretty good. Well, I mean, that would allow for whatever litigation has to right. happen, and and then people can start deciding what they're going to do officially. Yeah. Right. So it'll be very interesting to watch. Arizona is going to be obviously a hotbed of activity in 2022 with uh, a Senate race, um, you know, con- competitive congressional races, the House and Senate, and lo- you know, the Arizona House, Arizona Senate, uh, controlled, you know, being on the on the ballot. From the standpoint, I mean, I think redistricting is going to help Republicans in general. You, you um, would, you would hope so. You would hope the people, and I know, I know the two Republicans on the redistricting commission fairly well. And you know, when I see them, I don't, I'm not quite sure what to say, so I don't say anything. <laughs> I'm not quite sure, you know, what can I ask? So I don't, I don't ask anything. I think you're a member of the public. Yeah. So this is a public input type of deal. I mean, the commission is there to take. But I mean, they've they've done a bunch of meetings. You can, in fact. You know, you can go on their website and you can create your own map and say, yeah. this is the map I think you should use. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they listen to you, but well, well they I, might I, listen to you. No, they, <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just curious, at, you know, in terms of communities of interest, which they which they have to look at in terms of, um, you know, competitive districts. I mean, what what where are the dividing lines going to be there? Are they going to fix the stark issues that we have with certain districts now? Um, District Two, specifically down in in the People's Republic of Pima County. I mean, it, it it's so divided between you know you have the, the Catalina Fidels, you have parts of Tucson, and then you have all of Cochise County. Right. And how is that? How is that going to mess? Um, District One, which we've we've talked about, is is just a mishmash of competing interests. Yeah. And one of the most difficult, and, and give credit to anyone who wins that district, Republican, Democrat, in terms of constituent services, the most difficult district yep. on the map. Yep. It extends, for those who don't know, it extends all the way from Flagstaff through Navajo Nation, Holbrook, Sholo, Pine Top, you know, all the way, all the way through both Apache reservations. To, to to globe and mining country and then it and then it extends all the way down to Saddlebrook in Tucson yeah which makes no sense no at all sense. because because that's in Pima County not in Pinal County and extends then curves around and goes into Casa Grande yeah so it's an insane district it's an insane district and uh and kudos to anyone who's had that district because it really hasn't I mean it hasn't really changed much over the last 20 years it's it's actually expanded more didn't have uh, a lot of Casa Grande, you know, ten years ago. Right. That was added into it, and uh, it's made the district actually more conservative. It's it's mostly a conservative Democrat dis- district, um, save Flagstaff. But to deal with the, you know, all the different interests there is, is difficult, and I'm hoping they find a way to fix it. We'll you know, see. And then you have, you know, which are the really safe districts? Is it going to be Gosar's district? Is is are they going to make Schweikert's district, District Six, more more safe uh, for David? You know, what does District Nine look like? I mean, you that's mentioned gonna, Stanton. That's the big question. What, what is that going to look like? Because that extends, you know, all all over the south part of Phoenix, and well, in, in, into Arcadia and where we're sitting well, right Tempe, now. 
South Scottsdale, Arcadia, you know, across kind of the middle of Phoenix and then into Glendale. Yeah. It's, it's not a community of interest. Let's put it that way. It's, it's, it's a little, (laughs) it's, it's a little different. And then do they take Buckeye away from Grijalva and, and just give him, you know, South Tucson and, and, uh, and whatever. But even, but even then, if you look at the polling data, you know, of where the swing, the biggest swings were in, in voting blocks, um, the Hispanic vote swung really hard for Trump. Mm-hmm. And that's going to, and, and if you look at the, the, the data coming out of California right now with, with recall, the, it was really evident there as well. Right. So uh, as a natural constituency, conservatives, conservative ideas, the, the ideas of faith, freedom, family, free enterprise are resonating, you know, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens. Well, and I think that, I mean, one, one thing, future. yeah. And what we haven't touched on um, is COVID and how What's that's going to play. Yeah. <laughs> it's a flu like some, you know, flu like. Is that the, is that the, is that the pandemic where the survival rate is like 99.9%? 99.9%. Yeah. You've had COVID. I've had COVID. I've had COVID. Um, the, you know, I, I think that. So, now, truth be told, I've had COVID. I still can't smell a darn thing. Is that right? I, it's, I think I've had COVID twice, actually. I think I'd, I might have had like this Delta variant over the summer because my, my, my sense of smell, I, w- I was kind of tired. felt like I had a summer cold back in July. And then I, I couldn't smell anything for like the longest time. I mean, to the point this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but like my wife would be like, can you, can you empty out the cat litter? Because I can't <laughs> deal with this anymore. I'm like what? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Cause I couldn't smell anything. But then my, my sense of smells shifted to where now everything smells and tastes like turpentine. It's really? just weird. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's strange. Anyway, I didn't, sorry, I, I didn't, digress. Well, no, I didn't. We're ranting. So I right. just figured. I didn't not. suffer from the, the smell or taste. My wife did. Um, and my kid and my older kids, Youngest kids seem to be fine. Um, but the one of the things I was going to, that I mentioned before we started recording, was that we, you know, we're, our theme is faith, freedom, and free enterprise. Uh, we're going to add fitness yeah. to that. It's actually the better term would be wellness. But um, I, just, I just got back last week from going to the seventh annual biohacking conference. That Dave Asprey, the yeah. founder of Bulletproof Coffee, puts on. Uh, it was held in Orlando. You know, we should ask him to sponsor the show. I'm a sure. I'm a drinker of Bulletproof. Yeah. Well, he's 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 out of that now. Yeah. He's got his own mystery coffee coming. Um, nice. I'll tell you all about it. But but he did a preview. We tasted it. It was it was pretty good. A lot of butter. <laughs> sure. You know, a lot it, of butter. For those of you that don't know, he's a you know the big thing about. Uh, Bulletproof coffee was MCT and butter mm-hmm. to give you the use for a lot of people doing keto diet, diet, that kind of thing. Um, but lots of really fascinating stuff that was going on there that we can talk about on another pod, on another episode and coming up in the, in a few episodes, we're going to have some fitness gurus, um, on. who, you know, very well, very well. One of them is my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so that'll be an element of the show that's going to be new. Um, and, uh, they actually, a, there is a, uh, the, the president or CEO of a, of a startup called happy, uh, which was 
highlighted at the conference in Orlando. He's actually actually lives here. Oh, so is we'll he going to come? We'll see if we can get him to come on, talk about his technology, which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, there's a lot to to add to this um, because you know we're not getting any younger. No. I think we look pretty good for our age. But yeah, speak for I want to live to be, you know, into the hundreds. My original goal was to get to 100, but then I heard that Dave Asprey wants to be 140. So I'm like, well, I'm, I'm younger than him, so I probably should shoot for 150. I mean, it's the biohacking stuff. I mean, there's a million different ways we can go, but it's uh, there's a lot of lot of fun stuff to talk about. So what well, what did you learn in terms of COVID at, at the conference? Well, let's just say that. In that conference, there was a guy named Dr. Mercola um, who has been shut down by all of the social media stuff because of what he said about COVID. Um, obviously, he doesn't say that COVID's not real. He just says that the way that we're doing dealing with this is insane. Yeah, um, he's totally anti-shutdown, anti-mask. He he thinks we need to be focused on the people who are actually at risk. Yeah, which are old and obese. Yes. Um, or have four what all four point three comorbid you know comorbidities. Yeah, that's what all the data the data shows. Yeah, consistently has yeah. shown from the beginning. It's since the beginning of the pandemic. So the hospitalizations uh, mostly people over sixty five. What's what's their body makeup? Mostly obese. What what what, what, what other they comorbidities have? do they have? Heart disease, diabetes, or and and, and eighty something percent have a vitamin D deficiency. Um. So there's a lot of things that, um, and I mean, some intestinal issues, which is, which is the part of the key of developing that, that, that bulletproof coffee right, right. with the, the MCT oil. Exactly. The, the fascinating thing I read, I saw something and I don't know who, who put it out, but it was imagine the outrage if the government mandated that obese people had to lose weight, the same as they're mandating masks and the vaccine. See, that might be a mandate I support. Well, I, <laughs> no, I don't I support it. I mean, it would save lives. I'm joking. It would but, save lives. Yeah, it would. Um, I mean, I don't think any mandates are good, but I think the focus on, on everybody rather than the people who are at risk uh, has, has cre- you know, the shutdown of the economy, the overreach of government. And it's clear that, that this continues to be something that governments are using to control us. Yeah. Um, and that's why I was mistaken because well, I, I thought it was a big whiplash against Trump. And then when Biden got elected, everything would kind of go back to normal. But I had mis I miscalculated how much they love the control. Well, you're seeing that in, in the states that where where they're having quite a, a lot of success with COVID in terms of in terms of their numbers, California being one of them, ladies data came out and, and California is actually doing quite well, but lockdowns and, and, and mass mandates uh, continue. You see what, what America could become with Australia with essentially the implementation of martial law. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of, in terms of lockdowns, you can't leave your house and you can't leave your house. And if you're on, on the beach, I mean, you can be arrested and, and they're, they're, which they're, is insane. And if you're protesting, you, you can be shot at apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's nuts. But I think, I have hope for the country, and I have hope for the country for, for, for one reason. Sports. Sports? Football. That's your, that's your reason? College football. football. College football. NFL. I've been, to, I've been to a couple games in the last couple of weeks. 
Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. Well, if, you, if you look at all the people who are gathering in college football stadiums across the fruited plain, if you look at everybody who's gathering in NFL stadiums across the fruited plain, nobody's wearing masks. And those people who are, are doing so because they were, they were told to, and then they're taking them off. Yeah. And so nobody cares. If you looked at that Penn State whiteout the other night, nobody cares. Everyone is done. They're well, done being told what to do. They're done being told that they could get sick. And most of them have been sick. And if, I, I, if you look at the data, we're really close to being um, at uh, herd immunity. Herd immunity. When you count the 40 million people who've had COVID, along with you know the 70% have been at least vaccinated, which includes people who've had COVID, and they've had different responses of that. Right. But the natural immunity of those 40 million is undeniable. So people are just done. Well, and I, and I think for, for most people, the vast majority of people who get COVID, it's generally pretty mild. And I think for a lot of them, it's like, oh, that's it? I mean, when I see somebody say, oh, I've got COVID, and someone says, oh, I, I really hope that you don't have complications. Well, the chances of this particular person having complications is almost zero because yeah. they're youngish and healthy. Um, and, and, you know, the CDC, we talked about this, I think, before the CDC revised their, the number of comorbidities from 2.9 to 4.2 or something like that. So it's, we can really isolate now. Who are, are the people at risk? Yeah. Um, and, why, why, and I think that's why you had a pause, rightfully so, by the FDA on the, on, on the implementation of these, these booster requirements to just people over 65 who have the, who are at risk. Yeah. Because, because the viral load in those, you know, especially if you've had COVID in those vaccines is, is massive and, and uh, you can get really sick. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen it happen to a lot of, a lot of friends who've had COVID and they, you know, they feel like they need to go get vaccinated sooner rather than waiting, seeing how their body is, get, get tested, talk with your doctor and then, and then make sure you, your antibodies have worked them, their way through. Cause what you're doing is injecting more antibodies in your, in yeah. your system. And well, then when it get when your system gets overloaded, it shuts down. Right. What it's, what I've been thankful to see is that for the most part, the medical community has been treating this with the right level of, and I don't want to say apathy, but it's like, look, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, there's a handful of instances where you're not fine, but those are for the most part, you can see those because they're old and they're, they've got other issues. So if you're generally a healthy person and you come in and you test positive for COVID, at least here in our community with the medical folks that I've been in, you know, interacted with, it's, it's not push the panic button. It's just take it easy. You're going to be fine. Well, and they, they've, they've, they've learned how to treat it. You know, they've learned how to do outpatient treatment and they've learned what to prescribe. And we don't need to go into like all the different things um, that they're prescribing because, you know, the, you know, the media has, has deemed some of those things controversial. Which is insane. I mean, um, well, and that's, so know, my doctor prescribes me a Z-Pack. Yeah. And he's like, are you on, uh, are you taking your Tylenol? Yeah. Are you taking your Mucinex? Yeah. I'm going to give you a Z-Pack. I'll knock it out in a couple of days. He was right. Yeah. The, uh, the thing that, that is going to 
The thing that hasn't been, you know, talked about enough that I think that where we have to go is Fauci's culpability in all of this. Faustus. Because of the funding of the... I like these microphones, Dr. Faustus. (laughs) Because of the gain-of-function research that he funded, even when he was not supposed to under the Obama administration. But he's denied it. And he's told... He can't deny it anymore. I mean, it's so... He's he's told Senator Paul that he doesn't know what he's talking about. In a hearing. I saw it. Yeah, I know, but... He, and, and according to NBC News, whatever Dr. Fauci says is like gold. It's the, it's the truth. It's at some point it's going to come out that he's got blood on his hands because he created this thing. And then the way he handled it has, has been an abject disaster. And I think that the other part of this is follow the money. Um, Big Pharma definitely has a, a, plays a role in making this worse than it than it needed to be because well at least the the fear because it was pretty early in the process that we kind of understood who was actually at risk and yet it was the fear-mongering of everybody's going to die everybody's going to die everybody's going to die i mean at some point we have to have a record I, th- I think your your term for it was fear porn fear porn yeah yep yeah, and that, that's been... Uh, and Speaking of which, that was a hashtag at the uh, biohacking conference. It was. Yeah. Yeah. That tells you about where they are yeah. on this. <laughs> well, no, they're, they're, they're looking at the data. Yeah. And this is what the data says. And, and, and I think you're right about following the money. And uh, it, it, the vaccines, what people probably don't realize is um, the, the, specifically with, with Pfizer... Um, that vaccine has been in development for over a decade. It's been kind of on the shelf. That technology, they've been, the mRNA. They've been yeah, the mRNA um, technology has been on the on the shelf for over a decade. That come out and, of DARPA, and and so it's 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 and it, it's been utilized in the past, and so the, it was it was there. So read that in what you well, mean. and I and and. We need to look and at, I'm not anti-vax. I think I think anyone who hasn't had COVID should get vaccinated. Anyone who has COVID, talk to your doctor. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm I'm definitely not as in the there, there's at the biohacking conference. There is clearly a huge segment of the anti-vax, well, anti-COVID vax, and but also anti-vax in general. In which general. I'm definitely not that. Yeah. So I mean, I think to not get vaccinated for polio makes no sense. I mean, you should get vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and, and let's, let's, this is, uh, somebody had termed this as we are in the endemic, meaning it's no longer a pandemic, it's an endemic, meaning we have to live with it now. So how you choose to live with it really is entirely, it should be up to you. Well, and that, I mean, we've lived with the flu yeah. and the flu kills more kids than COVID. Yeah. And somehow we didn't go into a complete, you know, mind blowing disaster. I just, but the flu has gone. Yeah. You noticed? Well, it's, yeah. it's disappeared. Cause everything's COVID. Everything's COVID. Everything's COVID. Everything's COVID. Well, that's the other thing. And unfortunately I will never know because the, the financial incentives for the healthcare system are, are skewed. We're never going to know what the actual numbers of COVID deaths are. Yeah. Because we know that there are many instances in which you are in a car accident you die from injuries of the car accident. You happen to test positive, posthumously, of COVID, COVID death. 
Well, we also know because of the comorbidities, I mean, most, the leading cause of death in America consistently is heart disease. Okay, if you have heart disease, you get COVID, you're in deep trouble. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, 600,000 people, over 600,000 people consistently every year die, die of heart disease. So, so uh, there is one category of things, something that kills people more than heart disease. I what? learned this at the oh, you did. at the biohacking really? conference. This doctor did that. This is something CDC will not track. Interaction with doctors kills seven hundred and thirty-eight thousand people a year. I've read that. I've read that. seven hundred thirty-eight thousand surgeries and everything. Yeah, else. yeah. It's 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 a variety of different, different components, yeah. but it's you know interaction with health health systems. So that is care. not encouraging. Nope. It's why I try to avoid hospitals at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you go get sick right all right well, we've, we've ranted, been ranting and rambling uh, and for for almost an hour now maybe a little bit over an hour i we're, think we're already fairly comfortable in our new digs i, um, I like these digs we're very happy with we, we with, need to get better pictures though i mean we we probably need alex to you know take some new pics i don't know but don't but know. we have we have almost a cool little yeah. new logo back here and we're grateful to be here. Grateful for for uh, Dave Pratt and everyone here. The Star Worldwide Networks is treating us well. Star Worldwide, hitting the big time. Love it. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even get into like um, the border or you know Norm Macdonald. Yeah, Norm Macdonald. Well, Norm Macdonald's probably a whole episode himself. The border it's going to continue to be a crisis for months, so we can have plenty of yeah. time to talk about that. But so um, glad we talked about Sandy. That yeah. was good. The, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Lightbeer Dark Money is our, well, on, on Twitter, I guess it's L, LD. What is it, Alex? LBDM Podcast. LBDM Podcast. We still have Alex, even though we're in yeah. the digs. We still have our intrepid producer, the guy who keeps us in line. We're going to get him on the mic we, one of these days. We have to get him on the mic. Absolutely. I mean, we got to have somebody ask, you know, yeah. give us information. We should we... bring back Avery just for like old time's sake. <laughs> right. For our intern. Yeah. That wouldn't be bad. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. Thanks. Uh, thanks to Star Worldwide Networks for having us. Yeah. And we will. Uh, and uh, remember, agree on something. Yep. God bless. Have a good one, guys. See ya.